it's not our fault and there's nothing wrong in the world with regard to hydrocarbons or viruses or others that we can't solve. But the confluence of these things have made for a really negative marketplace. And so you've got to get up every day and believe that tomorrow's going to be better. So perseverance and optimism is, is something that is a, that you really need to focus on. The oil and gas industry, the driving engine of the world economy, delivering prosperity, innovation and abundance across the globe. Here are the stories of its key players, directly from the leaders themselves. This is Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, where real experiences are passed on from the leaders of today to the leaders of tomorrow. Here is your host, Paige Wilson. Welcome back to another episode of Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, sponsored by AWS Energy. Before I introduce this week's guest, I wanted to please ask everyone to support the show by leaving a review on iTunes. So I have the pleasure of sitting with John Gibson, Chairman and Chief Executive Officer of Flowtech Industries, Inc. How are you doing, John? I'm doing very well, considering COVID. Right, exactly. So let's talk about how you got started in the oil and gas industry. It was an accident. Really? It really was. I was studying geology at Auburn University and and wanted to get a PhD and it applied to John Hopkins. I really wanted to be a professor, but my daughter became ill. And we owed about $28,000 to the hospital because I didn't have insurance coverage for at the time. Oh, my gosh. And Gulf Oil was interviewing for geophysicists, and I had a degree in geology and mathematics. And they made an offer to me to come to work as a geophysicist, and I took it so I could pay off that hospital bill. And so I came into the industry, and I've never left. That's awesome. So let's talk about all the different roles you've played in the, in the industry. And as far as your experience, your vast experience. I mean, I was really blessed to be a part of Gulf and Gulf was acquired by Chevron and I made the transition from Gulf over to Chevron. That impacted me quite a lot. They didn't keep very many people from the Gulf company and it, it was a bit of a, a difficult transition culturally for us. And that impacted how I acquired companies later in my life. But I had a great time at Chevron, high integrity company. And I ended up managing their subsurface research at the research facility in La Habra, California. Left from there to go run a company called Zycor, which had a, a CEO that was runner-up for the, of the year for Ernst Young as an entrepreneur. And I wanted to learn from him. I didn't know how to be a CEO. And they, I wanted to learn that and go start my own company. And when I got there, I was CTO. I was pretty clever at several things, and they needed me. But he became ill. And I took his job. And so that was my first role as president CEO was running a company, a small company called Zycor. And it was part of Landmark Graphics, stayed on at Landmark. We we bought probably 20 companies. Bob Peebler had a great visionary. We had a guy named Hank Holland who was in charge of sales. I learned a lot from both of them. We grew the company dramatically, sold it to Halliburton, stayed on at Halliburton and ended up CEO of Landmark, and then ended up CEO of Halliburton's Energy Services Group globally at the time when we had KBR. So Dave Lazar was chairman of the company, and we had two of us. One ran KBR, I ran Halliburton. It was a great experience. Loved Big Red. When we split the two companies, KBR and Halliburton, uh, Dave really 
was, you know, wanted to be CEO after we'd completed the asbestos settlement, et cetera. We had two people that wanted to be CEO and, and Dave had the lead, lead position in the race. So I left and it was, you know, we took hands and parted. And I took over a company called Paradigm Geophysical, which was Israeli technology company, actually. And we grew it dramatically over four and a half years and it was sold. Then I went to Canada and ran an environmental services company and we grew it, the revenue again, dramatically. Market came down though, and the leverage was too great there when I started. So it had a, a not the fairy tale ending. Came back to the US and started up with Tudor Pickering Holt and at age 60 went and took banking examinations and passed the 79 and 63 and became an investment banker. And did that for a couple of years. I really enjoyed that because I love startup companies. I love the people that are all in and committed to, to what's going on in, in their lives. It was a lot of fun. But being CEO is more fun for me. And I had a chance to be a director at uh, Flowtech. But the bank, by federal regulations, you have to have approval. And we just couldn't work that out. We felt like that would be too big of a conflict potentially with the bank. And I don't disagree. And then they came back to me later, instead of asking me to be a director, they said, who do you know that would be a good CEO? And I raised my hand. That's how I ended up where I am. <laughs> wow. So you've kind of run the world, it seems. <laughs> well, I've been a, an explorer and producer, managed the oilfield service side of the business. I've been on the environmental side of the business. And, and now I'm back on the chemical side of the business. And, and we're transforming this company into something else as well. So it's exciting to, to lead them. It sounds like it. So what are some of the harder challenges that you had to deal with? I mean, you've been through a couple of downturns, obviously. You talked about your transition from Gulf to, to Chevron, but what are some of the other things that, that I guess maybe you hadn't talked about? Well, to be CEO is, is really to, to be accountable for all of the activities in the company and none of us have all the skills that are necessary to make companies great. So I think the single hardest thing is assembling teams of people that you trust and that can carry out the, the mission of the company. And the, and so it, it really is about people more than it is about any anything else. It's not a process job. You know, that's not what what I think great leaders do. Great leaders find great people. And then mentor them and get them to achieve as, as much as what's possible in their lives. You, you give them an opportunity to grow and, and succeed. And, and I think I've been blessed to find great people and, and we've done some pretty cool stuff. Awesome. So let's talk about your current role and what Flowtech industry really does. Well, Flowtech is a company that focuses entirely on chemistry. And, and in the, the simplest terms, it seems a little complicated when you talk about it, but we do complex mm -hmm. nanofluids. And what that really means is if you're trying to flow fluids in a reservoir, depending upon what coats the grains, you can cause different phases of that fluid or different molecules of that fluid to preferentially flow or, or not be impeded from flowing. And so they call that relative permeability. And so we inject chemicals during completion that changes the relative permeability to different phases, whether it be you know, condensate or oil or water. And our intent is to increase the production of the well's oil or, or gas or, or condensate and try to Im impede the production of water. These chemicals can be super effective because they change the, you know, the behavior of the reservoir. In some ways, it's in-ground refining. 
we can sort of decide which molecules we want to preferentially produce. And we do that through coating grains with uh, different types of chemicals. We also do friction reduction, which is absolutely critical in moving fluids during a pumping operation or production operation and biocides. And so we have the full suite of sort of oil field service chemicals that you would need to have a complete you know, fluid solution at the well site. Excellent. Excellent. But we bought a company. So I, I love digital. I love the cloud. I love the change in the world through machine learning and analytics. And so we bought a company called JP3 then just recently so that we can actually, while fluids are flowing in pipelines or from wells, releasing any gas to the atmosphere, we can make measurements of those fluids and tell you what the composition is with regard to oh, that's awesome. crude quality. It's very exciting. It changes the midstream world. It changes even the pumping jobs so that we can know how much more yeah, yeah. are flowing back and makes us more efficient. And it's a new measurement. It's a, it's a brand new data from a different sensor. So we're not just reanalyzing oh, all the data. that's so neat. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, that, and, and we're all in now on looking at new sensors and, and what new data can be gathered to sort of create the Internet of Things and, and take advantage of the, the cloud and the power of computing there. That's so cool. Congratulations on that and, and your acquisition. It's fun. Yeah. <laughs> if you had a piece of advice to give our audience, what would it be? Well, it, you know, it's an interesting question. I've got a friend named Bruce Williams that comes up with the word each year and he focuses on that word for the year. And in my case, if you'd asked me a year ago or even six months ago, it would have been different than now. And now it's persevere, right? It's like, this is the mm, word for yeah. I've ever seen. And it's not our fault. And there's nothing wrong in the world with regard to hydrocarbons or viruses or others that we can't solve. But the confluence of these things have made for a really negative marketplace. And so you've got to get up every day and believe that tomorrow is going to be better. So perseverance and optimism is, is something that is a, that you really need to focus on. It'll get better. Yeah, I like that. That's That's really good, John. What book influenced you the most and why? Be ashamed if I didn't say the Bible, and I would tell you that it does. And I, I read read through the Bible for my grandchildren. But another book that anybody could buy off the shelf by a great author is a Rushworth Kidder wrote a book called How Good People Make Tough Decisions. And the whole premise of the book is that we never make right, wrong decisions, only the media and, and idiots think that we're in the business of right and wrong. Amen to that. You're in the business. You're in right, right decision making. You have alternatives. Do I spend money on this? Do I not spend money? Do I terminate this person for violating our expense account rules? Or do I give them mercy and, and believe that they're going to change? Do I, you know, everything, you should frame it as right, right. And you're, you're deciding between four things. It's truth and loyalty, group and individual justice and mercy, and truth and loyalty. Did I get all four or did I miss one? I sometimes will repeat one, but but those are the end members. You're trading off between those things, and both of those are right. And so I never have executives come to me and say, well, if you do that, you're wrong. If, if you go in a meeting and somebody yells at you, we have to fire them, you know you're dealing with an idiot because you can't keep <laughs> them and give them mercy, Right. And so justice and mercy and anybody that decides the same way every time we can write a computer program and 
and replace them because that's an automaton, right? We need people that think and know that they have choices and what those choices are between two rights. Right. And you also need that creativity too, right? Think, don't just act out of, you know, habit, right? Truth and loyalty. Group and individual is a great one. If you're in a company that everybody gets a two and a half percent raise, you're in a group culture. If you're in a company where some people get 20% raises and some people get zero raises because they focus on how outstanding any individual is, that's an individual culture. That's not wrong. That's just two different cultural choices. Both can be right. You just have to decide which one fits your culture and your mission. That makes complete sense. Yeah, that makes complete sense. So what's your most used business tool? I know we were just on the phone prior to this. So I I have a feeling that might be, I'm just going to take a guess. (laughs) It's your phone. You know, as much as I hate to admit it, if those things cause cancer, I'm doomed. (laughs) It it spent more time against my ear than than the pillow on my bed here over the last Oh, no kidding, right? I absolutely despise it. Here's how I tell everybody, you'll know I'm in retirement. I'm going to have a small party at the pond behind my home. And we're going to see how many times that thing skips on the water before it sinks. <laughs> I would pay to see that. Uh, that's great. <laughs> so who would you say is your most respected competitor? Oh, in this industry, I, I respect many of them. And I typically don't respect companies as much as people. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, when people say, you know, which law firm do you hire? I go, I don't hire law firms. I hire lawyers. So it's Mara Rogers at at Norton Rose, right? Just huge integrity, tremendous support, both in you know tough times and and good times. And so when I think of of Mara Rogers, I think of an outstanding person. So therefore, I'll attribute that to Norton Rose. That doesn't mean that I feel that way about Norton Rose. Uh, competitors for us, there's some really the good ones, and that's some of the big ones. My alma mater, I've got a lot of respect for Halliburton. They are a solid competitor in the chemical side. They've got really good people, and they're great at logistics and supply. And so there's many times I imitate them in in terms of business fundamentals and then try to differentiate so that I've got some way of of making sure I get market share. Yeah. (laughs) What's your most important lesson learned, John? Don't let failure stop you. You're going to fail. And the second part of that is, and I think this is the most important for every person, particularly young people, do not be so proud that you cannot ask for help. I could go through my career and almost every one of the really big decisions that I had to make, as I said earlier, CEO, you can't know everything. And I've been asked companies around, I didn't know what to do. So I, I won't cause this to be a long program, but I once called a guy named Jim Medlock, who was CEO of Intergraph. I was trying to decide whether or not to move a company to NT from Unix. I didn't know what to do. He did that and took the market cap of his company from about $7 billion to $1 billion. And I called, cold called Jim, and I said, Jim, I've been asked to move this company from Unix to NT, and I don't know what to do. And you obviously have just gone through a traumatic experience doing it. And he said, boy, if you'll come to my hometown, I'll take a day off and tell you everything I did wrong. And he didn't know me from Adam. Okay. And and I flew there. And it's the most wonderful day in my career because everything he taught me, I would have done that wrong. 
just like he did it because our intuition and our business experience was what I said, let's do this. But what he learned when he did it was that was not what needed to be done. And that's what caused this difficulty. And you go, I owe that man my career because I would have failed on a major transition in a company and he helped me. And I've been helped numerous times where I look back at it and I go, without that person's help, my career would have never been nearly as successful as it has been. Wow, that's an incredibly important lesson learned. I've never had an issue with being too proud to ask questions. I guess my my issue has always been too scared to ask a stupid question. Well, you know what I mean? And that's both things, right? I've seen people too proud to let you know that they don't know. People yeah. bluff through that and I'm... Everybody that works for me tell you this. That's not a good strategy with me. You might be surprised what I know. <laughs> Don't bluff me. That is not good for your career. <laughs> but then I mean, a lot of people are afraid. They're afraid that somehow that it diminishes you. I have met with the young man today that runs IT for us at Flowtech, and he's a great guy. And there was, I asked him a question, and he didn't know the answer. And I, so my question to him was, who are you going to ask to help you on that? Okay. It, it's not you're a failure for not knowing the answer. It, I think as a leader, you want to say, and so how are you going to reach out and get the help you need so that we do this correctly? And he actually smiled and he said, I can do that. And I go, I know you can. That's how I run my job. I do my job. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'm that smart, but I know a lot of smart people. Surround yourself with smart people. That's the best thing you could do. And loyalty, that, and that goes back to what you were talking about in the book. So why is your role now important to the, the future of the oil and gas industry, John? You know, I wouldn't say that I'm important to the future of the oil and gas industry. I don't, my ego is not quite that big, but you know, I can still get in, in a, into NRG Stadium without having let the roof back. But when I think about it, I've done a few things that I really enjoy that are changing the company. And that is, for example, one of the chemicals that we use in abundance is alcohol. And I was coming back from Canada. And as I was coming back and during COVID, I was trying to get back in the country before they closed the border. And I realized that uh, sanitizer and, and you know, hand sanitizer and disinfectants were going to be important. So I asked our two, two of our leaders at Flotech, I said, hey guys, you think you can make sanitizer for us? I'd love to make some and give them away to institutions that are going to need that. And so for instance, one of my favorite institutions in Houston, Star Hope Mission, helping homeless people, right? They live off donation. I thought, wow, if we could make some hand sanitizer for the homeless that are coming in at night and they're in close proximity that are on the street, that would be a great thing to do, right? That just make you feel better to do something of merit. So these guys went away and, and I figured we'd make a couple hundred gallons, but instead we made thousands of gallons in our first. That's so awesome. Thousands of gallons. So we were able to give it away to the Star Hope Mission. Uh, Mayor Turner and I are acquaintances. I won't say friends. We don't get together any better, but we called Mayor's office. We gave 1,240 gallons to first responders in Houston. We gave product to Texas Children's Hospital to nursing homes, to hospitals in Midland. And and it changed our company because we saw that we could do something new, right? We could do something different and that we could apply our skills to other, you know, 
other chemicals, other industries, but use exactly the same competence. So as a result of trying to do something good, we now are, are sort of working through and, and finding some success in producing hand sanitizer and disinfectant. Yeah, so basically you just pivoted. You pivoted your business model. Just and, and not necessarily more, model, but yeah, what you were initially doing. So that's that's awesome. That's and and I'm sure so many people are thinking. All of a sudden, your staff goes, you know, we can do good. And I go, you know, we're always doing good. Even when we're producing chemicals to produce hydrocarbons, this world has to have energy in order for it to be accommodating to our species. And so I like right. air conditioning. I like mobility. I like the Internet. All of these things are driven by high quantities of energy. And we've always been in an industry that provided to that to make quality of life better. And no matter where you are on the globe, the access to energy determines your quality of life. If you have large access to affordable energy, life is good. And sadly, those countries that don't, you do have energy where they, you know, energy is incredibly high cost and in short supply. And so we're very, we're, we're blessed. We're in an industry that makes a difference in the quality of life around the planet. And we still have an obligation to the environment as well. I don't want to diminish that. And I think I work with you know, other CEOs where our commitment being environmentally sound in our decision making, improving our processes, that we're all there. We understand that. You know, we, we love fishing. We love being outdoors. We believe that quality of life is impacted by the environment. We're, we are absolutely on board with ESG movement. And I, I mean, I'm seeing people make great strides there. That's so great. That's so wonderful. So John, what's your favorite podcast? Well, I guess it's this one since I'm on it. <laughs> one I'm on. <laughs> That's what Mayor Tol- Turner told me too. <laughs> well, actually, I mean, it's interesting. I have been listening. To, I won't name any of them because it's, I'm so eclectic. You know, it's, and some of the ones that I listen to would be controversial. My wife would tell you that I listen to a lot of things that in, are in, contradictory to how I view life. And I do that where I can make as strong an argument for why I shouldn't do something as why I should. And I think we need to spend more time understanding the other side in our lives so that we can make decisions that that comprehend the totality of the problem we're solving, that it's not just an egocentric type decision, but one where it is, you know, either utilitarian or where we're trying to do better for everyone instead of just ourselves. So I I listen to a number of podcast where I just I can't agree with anything they said, but it makes me better at arguing my position. Right. I don't think it's okay to form an opinion about something if you don't know everything that there is to know about that specific subject. You have to look at every different angle, every different perspective. Yeah, it's many of the dilemmas that we have and face in America today are things where people should take the time to understand the other side. And, but we've got to where we're so egocentric and we only argue just the, our, our position that it's quite a negative outcome. We don't have statesmanship anymore. We have politicians, right? And in some of our business activities, we, we're naive about the totality of what we do and how it impacts others. And you need to know the stakeholders and you need to know your impact on other yeah. stakeholders. So I think it's, it's fun to be CEO. I take it seriously. It sounds like it. You make it sound fun. <laughs> you 
you get to guide a group of people. And, and in fact, I think the coolest part is you almost don't do anything. Okay. To be honest, if you're good at it, you get everybody else performing at a really high level and you only intervene when it's necessary. Right. Yeah. And so you're really an interventionist and you, you try to minimize intervening because nothing's more exciting than people that have a mission. They own that mission. They're not doing what they're told. They're doing what they believe in. Right. And, and you want to start other way and let them be hugely successful and we've got a team at Flowtech. We've got some people that are going to be hugely successful. They know what to do. They know how to execute. They understand what's valuable in the marketplace. And all I really need to do is be an encourager and make sure that they have the resources they need in order to go and make a difference in this world. That's awesome. That's awesome. So thank you for joining me, John. If people want to reach out to you and or get to know more about Flowtech, how might they go about doing that? Well, at, at risk of my life here, my email address is easy enough. It's gibson at flowtechind.com. So F-L-O-T-E-K-I-N-D.com and just Gibson, no no first letter. There's so many Johns. I don't try not to go by John that <laughs> I can actually answer to the right person. <laughs> but yeah, I'm happy to do that. I mentor a number of young executives in the industry. Uh-huh. You know, that will come in and I'll, I'll coach them. Maybe one day, one or two of them will give you some testimony as to what it's like to have me for a mentor. I'll, I'll sit and give them pretty tough advice. I do that for free. I'm not here to charge people. I, I, there's some aspect of giving back I think is really important. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, we got to share your knowledge. And this that's part of the reason I do this show is so people can listen to what other people went through and maybe learn something from that. And you're on LinkedIn as well, right? I am on LinkedIn, and I don't look at that every day, though. So that that one tends to be a once a week thing. Facebook, I try to just limit to family. <laughs> you know, yeah, no kidding. Place where the wife can make a comment without everybody seeing it. And you know, there's a. I will put this in here too. I've been married forty one years. Okay. Oh wow! Congratulations. Yeah, and and I'll tell you, I, I really have enjoyed it. I hope so. <laughs> But we, we laugh because we say we've been married 41 years. And we've been together for 25 because I traveled so much. <laughs> Maybe that's why we've been together this long. But I, I can tell you that partnership and the trust there and honoring that contract has been really important to my life. And I would have never been this successful had it not been for the partnership I have with Elizabeth. I mean, she has been just an outstanding partner and supportive. And we all need support, both men and women, in the workplace from someone. You have to go and charge your battery every day. And you need to find that person that, that keeps you from running out of gas in your life, no matter who you are. And everybody that goes home, we go home tired every day. But I fully expect you to recharge, come back in in the morning, help me slay the dragon. That's awesome. I don't think we've had anybody come on here and, and speak about partnership and having that companionship before. So thank you for that. Well, really appreciate that. It's a big part of our lives. I mean, whoever your, you know, your significant other is, we have to have a way to recharge. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You, you got to figure out what that puts bolts on your battery. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> yeah. because normally as, as a leader, when you go in, you're like a battery. They hook to you and take energy from you all day. And, you're, yeah. and your job is to never give out. 
And so you better figure out a way to recharge yours. And it turns out everybody in the organization's like that. In every position, every role, we all get fatigued and we have to know how to come back tomorrow and make it happen. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. Anything else before we go? No, I probably talked too much and this will be your least. No, no, no. It's been wonderful. That's why I asked if you had more. <laughs> this, I'll, you know, I'll rack up the least listened to podcast because you, you know, is so pedantic or something. I don't know, but I'm, I love what I do. I hope I can do it better tomorrow. And, you know, I, it's just a lot of fun to work with talented people and try to make a difference. And that's where Flowtech's going. Have a great board. As a CEO, you know, a lot of the people that can either charge or empty your battery is your board. For those people that have boards yeah. that drain them, you should quit, right? I mean, there's there's no reason to let a board of directors take away from your life every day. Find a place where you can make a difference. But our board of directors who have several notable people, I won't name them, you can look them up, but they're incredibly encouraging. They allowed me to bring a bunch of our employees onto a video call just a, a few days ago, and they reached out and told them how important what they were doing is. And so you've got the board encouraging the, the employees and are excited about what they're doing, right? I, that, to me, charges up my battery, and it, it gives me the confidence to know that we're gonna, we're on the right track. That's awesome. I've never heard of a board you know, reaching out to the employees of a company and, and pumping them up. So that's, that's awesome. Well, it was, it's cool. I mean, we, we have people that have done something that's pretty exciting. And I asked them, I said, you know, here's what we've done. And one, our lead outside director said, you know, I'd love to congratulate them in person. I said, you know, in this Zoom world, we'll make that happen. <laughs> you know, I'll just bring them all on the call. And so we had this mosaic of people up on the screen and, and they got a chance to listen to the directors talk about how important what they had accomplished was. And 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 I don't think we celebrate often enough as, as companies. We, we're working so hard now, it's hard to figure out when to stop celebrate. So I, I'm looking forward to the second half of this year being time of celebration when market comes back and everybody's more confident. I think, you know, we're going to have to spend a little time working with employees and say, good to have you back. There's one other one. I'm running along here on you, but I'll tell you, there's one other thing I've, I've learned. I talked about this on a call the other day. We're very fortunate that we have such a bank of interaction with people in person. We've built up such a social you know, equity in the organizations because of the time we spent working together one-to-one. And we're using up the majority of that social capital now by using Zoom and and Teams, and, and Zenstar, and it's a case of where I don't know how long we can go, particularly acquiring companies and, and others, and overcome the challenge of having relationships between people that really grow and make companies successful, and if we're not just using up the social capital that we had from before, or are we creating any online, and I think we're going to have to yeah. address that as we go forward, can we create that social capital, that that bond uh, through these you know, indirect methods? So at, I do prefer Zoom to podcast because I like seeing people's faces and it's a little better, but it is a world in where we're going to have to figure out how to work together from afar. Yeah, I definitely miss the interaction with my guests on here. I'm incredibly empathetic and I get their energy. And, and it, it helps me 
further along the conversation. So this has been a challenge for me doing this virtually, for sure. Any good interviewer reads body language and explores questions that and answers that come up. So, I mean, I, I do think it's hard. I think it's hard for you. It's hard for yeah. us. And, you know, it, it's hard to be enthusiastic sometimes when you're you're sitting exactly. yourself yeah. in a room and you're not looking at anybody and you go, how do I keep the the level of energy up all the time when it, I'm not used to doing that? So it's there's a lot of things to learn. Well, I have enjoyed when I have gotten on a video call or Zoom teams or whatever, just only getting half ready. <laughs> just from the just from the waist up golden oh, well there's a lot of you know merit to pajamas i'll tell you we're thinking about having pajama day at the office uh, where everybody just come in like they have been on zoom and <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome well another fun thing now here sort of fun to think about because i want to make a difference here is i'm worried that we're driving a bigger wedge between salaried and hourly people because you've got hourly people that are having to show up to work and take risk and maybe not being paid as much, but they're the ones that are side by side on assembly lines or they're, they're having to go in to, to mix chemicals or to drive trucks. And then we have people that are sitting in their shorts by their pool that are working from there, and that's how they see them on Zoom. And I think that's, that is going to create cultural issues that we should address now. I didn't even think of that. That's a good point. And so I've been really trying to figure out, you know, what do I need to do as a leader to make sure that does not happen because that is not acceptable. No, no, I absolutely agree. I have great appreciation for all of our people that are are working, that are in the field or in the, the plant that come in every day, take more risk. These are the unsung heroes. Those people that can work from the side of their pool, that's a blessing. But we need to make sure that it doesn't become a wedge because I, I'm afraid that it can. And and I, I think I just want to – I like to be consciously aware of things instead of having them happen to me. So I'm just pondering what I'm seeing and, and how it can impact our culture. And, and the, like I said, that hadn't even crossed my mind. So, yeah, you're definitely looking at the future and the big picture, really. I try to. I mean, I, I'd say that's something that's important to me. So I do spend time pondering it. And I've run on way beyond what your time is. So at this point, you know, I appreciate you tolerating me getting all the tools downloaded. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's funny that you're cutting yourself off instead of me cutting you off. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, I'd go all afternoon. I'd, nobody want to listen that much to me, but I'm happy to come back in the future. I don't know. Do. I, I'm. Yes, that would be great. And we have other podcasts on our network, so you, you can definitely, I'll have to introduce you to a few of them. But thank you, John. I appreciate your insight and, and your sharing your story with the world, really. Well, I so, well, appreciate I, you. Hope it benefits one person. If it does, then it's, it was a meritorious investment. And that's all that matters is that as long as it affects one person or one person learns something, that, that's my goal. As or, the host of this, even show, if it so. makes one mad enough to do something that changes things for the better, I'm good with that too. I just want it. Oh, to be a, I haven't gotten I haven't gotten hate mail yet. So oh, I get some occasionally. I I'm reasonably outspoken. That topic for another day. But I can tell you, when you're trying to make cultural change in companies, in in organizations, in life, not everybody be happy with the decisions you make. Just yeah, it's a, a disruption to their comfort and well. When you're too complacent, 
you're not growing either. No, you take all the challenges that life gives you and, and enjoy it. I mean, I, be joyful. Don't always be happy, but you be always joyful. So all is good. Amen to that. All right, John. So that concludes this episode. So just remember, it's up to you to open the next door. Now here's events on deck. Hey, everybody. Alex here with the events on deck. So due to current circumstances, of course, we are not able to have any in-person events. So I have nothing of that nature to update you guys on. But we have been hosting some virtual events. So OGGN is wanting to offer free webinars, live happy hours, etc. during this time. Since these events are not scheduled out as far in advance as in-person events, we would like to keep you guys updated via Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. So be sure to keep checking up on that and we'll keep you guys posted on anything we're offering. It has been free. We want to offer you guys value during this time that we're all at home. So please continue checking in and joining us for these virtual events. We are looking forward to seeing you guys whenever we're able to have in-person events and hope you're staying safe and sound. Tune in next week for another intriguing episode of Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasindustryleaders.com.